Welcome to the Connection Chat Podcast, where we talk about all things mental health. We believe that connecting with others through honest conversation is our greatest tool in breaking down the stigma that is often associated with mental illness. My name is Lauren Sepulvador, and today we're going to be having one of those conversations. Thank you for listening. Hi, everyone. Welcome to this week of Connections Chat. This week, I have Whitney Russell here with me. Hi, Whitney. Hi, how are you? Good. I'm so excited to have you here. So Whitney Russell, uh, long introduction, you guys, <laughs> licensed professional counselor supervisor, certified eating disorder specialist supervisor, trained in eye movement desensitization reprocessing, EMDR, and president of the International Association of Eating Disorders Professionals, DFW chapter. Yep. It's a lot. Yes. How do you do it? I have um, lots of help. I'm sure because Whitney earned her master's in counseling psychology from UNT. I went to UNT for undergrad as Yay. well. It's a she, great school. Yes. I loved it. Um, she's an expert in the field of eating disorders and was a regional director of outpatients for Center for Discovery, where she oversaw the clinical and daily operations of seven treatment center locations across the country. And she welcomes all ages, races, gender, socioeconomic statuses, body sizes, and sexual orientations. And through this work, she has gained immense compassion and love for the human experience. She says her favorite part about being a therapist is establishing relationships with clients to help them see what they've been missing out about themselves all along, that they are powerful beings worthy of great love, belonging, and connection. I love that. Thank you. (laughs) And then you're also a wife and mother of four wonderfully energetic children. Yes. We have a crazy life. (laughs) And um, I definitely want to talk about this today, but you mentioned Enneagram One Mm -hmm. in your bio, so we could get started there. You mentioned that you utilize the Enneagram when you're working with clients. I do. So how did that originate, and how do you include that in your work? Um, Well, I would say that I married into it. Um, My husband's mother is Suzanne Stabile. She's a world-renowned Enneagram master teacher. And so she goes all over the country and has been teaching and studying the Enneagram for like 35 or 40 years. So my husband's known it most of his life. Wow. Um, And so it's just the language that we speak at home. It's the water that we swim in. It's how we talk about ourselves and our relationships, how we talk about our kids. It's kind of how we talk about the world sometimes. Yeah. Uh, And so, you know, he... I had like heard of it when we before we met, and then whenever we met was when we really kind of got into it, or I really got into it. Uh-huh. And so I just found it to be such a gift when it comes to being a therapist, because once you know somebody's enneagram number, it kind of fast tracks mm. how fast tracks like establishing rapport with somebody. You kind of already know a lot of the bullet points on their treatment plan without yeah. them even having to tell you about it, and it's just it and. I think it really helps people to learn a little bit more about themselves, have greater awareness of themselves, helps change to, you know, to incur. Yeah, faster. absolutely. And to learn so much about others too, because I got mm-hmm. into it a few years ago mm-hmm. and now I ask all of my friends, like, what's your Enneagram? <laughs> because I found it so helpful. And now that I know what number they are, mm-hmm. I know almost certain triggers to look out for sure. and it's helped our relationships a lot, oh, I yeah. feel like. Yeah. What are you? So I, yes, I should start with that. So I'm a three wing two. Okay. Through and through everything that I see, I'm like, that makes sense. That's me. I feel seen. So yes, that's mine. That's awesome. Yep. Yep. Um, yeah, I'm a one and it's, 
even because I supervise people, like you said, I have two different supervisor certifications and it's even helped me with supervision because whatever you, whatever your number is, that's how you show up in the room. And that can be good and bad Uh in lots of different ways. Um, And just help people to, again, know a little bit more about themselves and how they show up in the room as a therapist or as a clinician of any sort and being able to monitor monitor that presence. Yes. And to know that there are no good or bad numbers mm-hmm. because when some of my friends were taking the quiz, they were like, well, I got a different one than everybody else. What's that mean? And I'm like, that's you. That means, like that's that unique. Good. Yeah, there's no <laughs> right or wrong answer with it. And it's just showing a part of your personality and helping others to get to know you better. Yeah. I love that. And how do you handle it if a patient doesn't want to work with the Enneagram or some naysayers of the Enneagram? Sure. I, I never force people into using the Enneagram. Um, you know, with some of my clients, if they don't know it and I kind of introduce it to them, they are, you know, really take to it and kind of do the deep dive, <laughs> go yes. into the hole of the Enneagram, <laughs> like some, a lot of people do. Um, and some people are like, eh, I don't really want to do that. And, and that's fine. Like that's kind of the approach that I take with a right. lot of, um, a lot of my clients is I'm not going to force them, you know, into doing something they don't want to do. Yeah. And how would you explain it to listeners that have never heard of it before? Um, I just say that it's an Enneagram typing system that is based on your internal motivations. And so, and the other cool thing about it is that it's not static, you know, like the, um, Oh my gosh, what are the other ones? All the other personality tests. Like Myers-Briggs. Yeah, like the Myers-Briggs. They are very static. They're kind of like, this is who you are all the time. The Enneagram is not like that. The Enneagram, you are a core number at all times, but you also kind of move around the Enneagram, whether you're in stress or security. And um, it really paints a better picture of people's behavior. And being able to help them learn more about themselves and others. So speaking of your private practice and working with clients, what inspired you to start your own private practice? Well, I never wanted to have a private practice. Like whenever I went to graduate school, I really wanted to work at an agency or a treatment center with a, with a treatment team, uh-huh. like a whole multi-dimensional treatment team. And just through life and through work, um, like my personal life kind of exploded at the same time as my professional life. And so I went from... Being a single mom of a three-year-old within, you know, two years. And and I was just a therapist at a treatment center. Um, So I didn't have a ton of responsibility other than just over my own caseload. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, two years later, I was the, like, regional director of operations for inpatient and outpatient, seven different treatment centers. And I was married and had three kids. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) So it was quite a lot all at one time. And the further up the like corporate ladder of treatment centers that you go, the less client care you do. And I just really felt uh, that that was lacking in my life. Being a therapist is who I feel like I'm supposed to be. And I wasn't really doing any therapy at that point in time, and I really missed it. And so it was, it just made sense to open my own practice so that I could start doing that a little bit more. And so I did it on the side for a while. And then I was like, I think this is the direction I want to go. I wanted to be there more for my family and wanted to be there more for my clients. Yeah. And to be client facing. Yeah. And the name of your practice, I was going to ask you about that, um, Brave Haven Counseling. Mm -hmm. What's the story behind the name? 
Well, naming a practice is really hard. And I would say it wasn't my first uh, choice of name. When I was thinking about it, it took some time to get there. And I had talked to different people about how to name a practice. And and the advice that I was given was, how do you want people to feel when they're there? Mm. And I was like, I want people to feel like they are brave and courageous for being there. And I want it also to be a safe place. Mm -hmm. And so Brave Haven just felt like that was a good, succinct way of saying all of that. Yeah. That's where the name came from. (laughs) And I can see from your introduction that you're very inclusive. You welcome everyone and anyone to come to your practice and to get help from you. Yeah. It's really important to me. Yeah. And that getting to that universal human experience Mm -hmm. of we all are hurting, but getting back to that root of you're strong, you can do this and helping clients through that. Yeah. I, I, through working with so many people, I became a therapist or I graduated, um, in 2009. So I've been a therapist for a good amount of time, you know, not, not too terribly long. Um, but I've seen a lot of different people worked at a lot of different, um, facilities and, there is just something very universal about being human yeah. and it's messy and it's hard and it's wonderful and it's joyful, but it is really universal there. Even if we come from different backgrounds or have different color skin, yes, our experience can be different, but we all feel the same feelings. There's no escaping being a human and all the things that come with that. Yeah. And being a counselor, you, see every element of that. Mm -hmm. I call myself a baby therapist because (laughs) I'm still in graduate school. So I'm wrapping up my final semester of internship. Wonderful. Studying for the NCE. So I'll be graduating in December. That's awesome. Um, But one thing that I found through internship and counseling clients is you skip all of the small talk with somebody and Mm -hmm. you're seeing the raw human nature that we're talking about. You Mm -hmm. see the most beautiful and the most harmful moments that happen to people and really having, it's an honor for them to share that with you. Absolutely. I 100% know my place and and that it's an honorable place or I am honored to be there, that it's not something that I take lightly at all. And you mentioned that you were made to be a therapist. That's your role. (laughs) What was your journey to becoming a counselor and a therapist? Oh man, I always knew that I wanted to help people, but I thought that I wanted to be a pediatrician for a long time. Um, always had a heart for children and an adolescence for sure. And uh, then I got to college and decided I didn't want to be <laughs> in med school for four years, then do residency for a number of years, yeah. you know, all the things. And I didn't want to be like 35 and then starting my, I know it's not 35, I know that's an exaggeration, but I didn't want to be starting my career. Yeah. Um, I wanted to be starting my career sooner. And Took my first psychology course in uh, college and fell in love with it. Yeah. So the rest is history. Just kind of knew where I wanted to go from there. Yeah. I've heard similar stories of others of wanting to go into the medical profession Mm -hmm. and because that is caring for others um, and then finding a way to therapy. Um, I have vasovagal syndrome, so I could never be a nurse or doctor. You know what that is? Like I literally (laughs) pass out the side of blood, so I could never do that. Um, But I love that because always wanting to have that heart for helping others. Mm Mm-hmm. You also have your podcast, Real Messy, Real Happy. And we were just talking about how messy it is being a human. It is. What was the story behind (laughs) the podcast? So my friend and I, um, Casey Bonanno, 
we had worked together at a treatment center for several years and we had kind of gone our separate ways from the treatment center, but it always remained friends and, and, and like shared clients. She's a dietitian. And so we share a lot of clients together and we just enjoy each other's company. And we'd been on a couple of podcasts of my um, mother-in-law's podcast together, just her and I, and we were at a friend's, uh, uh, not housewarming, but like their business, I don't know why. Like an open are, house? An open house, okay. yes. Sorry. Words are escaping me. It's early. <laughs> I haven't had all my coffee yet. And we were there and we were just, you know, having a good time with friends and we were chatting about how we had recently recorded a podcast and um, we kind of joked around like, wouldn't it be fun if that's, you know, if that's what we did. And then like a couple of weeks later, we're like, what if we really did this? Yeah. What if it wasn't just a joke? And so we we started it. My husband produces his mother-in-law's podcast. Um, and so he kind of showed us the ropes of how to get a podcast started and what equipment we needed yeah. and how to edit it. And and that's how that's how it began. And, and we, we have a good time. We haven't been able to record um, any episodes this year, but we've really, really enjoyed what we have put out there. And we get a lot of feedback that it's really helpful for people and I even use it almost as a resource for my own clients, Mm -hmm. you know, when they're starting to, I get a lot of clients that don't know anything about eating disorders or don't know anything about how to have a healthy relationship with their bodies, but they're coming to me saying that that's what they want, that they want to change um, how they are in relationship with their, with food and with their bodies. And so it is a good kind of primer Mm -hmm. for like, Hey, here's the language we're going to use. We're going to talk about intuitive eating. We're going to talk about diet culture we're going to talk about body image and all the things that come with that. And, and we're going to talk about haze and it's just a good resource to kind of get, you know, again, it like fast tracks people, right. A good education for them to do in between our sessions on their own to get the most out of the sessions when we're meeting together. Yeah. And I was listening to one of your episodes on self-compassion mm-hmm. this morning, driving mm-hmm. up here and I loved it. I could resonate with so much. And just like you said, I could see the amazing feedback that you have on the podcast, the reviews saying that it's helped them and their mental health and eating journey so much. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Self-compassion. I really wanted to make sure that that episode was out there because as an Enneagram one, that's very hard for me. And I even talk about that in the the podcast episode, but um, self-compassion has changed my life. 100%. Mm. I, uh, I mean, I knew what self-compassion was, but I didn't do a deep dive about self-compassion until I was reading The Gifts of Imperfection by Brene Brown and then kind of went down the rabbit hole of um, Kristen Neff Mm. and was doing a quiz online from Kristen Neff, like a self-compassion quiz, and it goes through all the different pieces of self-compassion and and I was a therapist. I, you know, I was really into my career at that time, and it turned out that I didn't have as much self-compassion as I thought I did. Um, but just discovering that really changed my life and, um, giving myself grace again has helped me to see more of my humanness and not feel like I have to be superwoman and and do it all or, or be all for all people. Um, it's been, it's been really helpful. So you were laughing whenever you said as a therapist, (laughs) I was low, but you know, 
it's it can be so difficult, but practicing what we preach with our clients, hundred percent, because it's so much easier to say, have more so compassion or do this, but then putting up the in the work or realizing where we mm-hmm. come short. It's mm-hmm. like, oh gosh, it's like I need to be a pro at this. Why am I not? But then having self compassion in that and realizing yeah. I wasn't aware, but I can start doing better now that mm-hmm. I know better. Mm-hmm. For sure, yes. But I love gifts of imperfection by Brene Brown. Um, her podcast is a big reason why this podcast is here today. Awesome. And I just think that she's so inspiring. So whenever I was listening to that podcast episode, I was like, everybody needs to hear this. Mm-hmm. Like there really is a lack. And that's what you guys talked about. There's a lack of that in society today mm-hmm. and with all of us being mm-hmm. so hard on ourselves and, mm-hmm. and hard on each other. Yes. You know, I, that was something that I wanted to say in the podcast as well was we're so hard on each other. We don't mm-hmm. give grace to each other enough. You know, I feel like we can continue to give grace and more grace to each other, especially in relationships or especially to strangers or people we don't know or or people that think differently than we do. And we especially just automatically mm-hmm. say like we don't like that person or just because we don't agree with, with them. But there's so much beauty in being able to find out more about somebody mm-hmm. who has a different view than you do. Because the truth is, is that when we find out more about them, we find out that we're so much more similar mm-hmm. than different and have so much more in common than we may have thought before. Mm-hmm. But it's hard. It's hard to start those conversations and it's hard to give compassion that way when mm-hmm. things are so difficult and so hard, but that's where we find connection. Yeah. Yeah. And and I, I, I totally agree with like finding things that are similar, but I also think there's a benefit from learning more about what's different in the world. You know, oftentimes I tell clients like we don't necessarily have to completely change how you view the world, but maybe we just need to like shift. It's almost like we're looking at the same, you know, spot in a room, but just from a different chair, it looks slightly different. And that can be so helpful in being able to find your way out of a problem or to be able to see a solution when you didn't see it before, you know, you can see more of the pieces of the puzzle. Yeah. I love that. And even leaning into the discomfort of Mm -hmm. what is it that we're disagreeing on? What are you seeing? What am I seeing? And leaning into that. Yeah. Yeah. I agree that we definitely need more of that these days. (laughs) (laughs) And you have done so much work with eating disorders. How did that start? I have always found them interesting. Um, I've never had a full-blown eating disorder, but definitely a different times of my life had disordered relationship with food and exercise. And I think it was kind of, you know, in college I did all my um, papers and projects on eating disorders and the same in graduate school. And I think it was a little bit of like, I see you, you know, <laughs> a little yeah. bit of the like reflection in the mirror of like, I, I see you. I might not see all of you, but I see you. <laughs> um, and so I had graduated and, it was during 2009 when there was a recession and it was hard to find a job. And I was actually hired onto the place that I did my practicum at, my year-long practicum. They were like, you want to work here? I was like, yes, I just want a job. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so then after I got all of my hours and became fully licensed, um, I was looking for a different job. I worked for Dallas County at that time. And my friend was like, do you want to work with women with eating disorders? And I was like, yeah. I do. <laughs> that sounds fantastic. Yeah. Um, and that was uh, 2011. And so I've been spent most of my years as a therapist working with eating disorders. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Currently for internship right now at Connections Wellness Group, I'm with our mindful program oh, and nice. mindful adults. And 
I have no idea if I'm going to specialize in it or anything like that, but it's just been such a learning experience. Oh, yeah. I think working with eating disorders has helped me gain experience and knowledge that transcends just eating disorders. Um, eating disorders are one of the hardest, you know, if you look at it from addiction model, they're one of the hardest addictions to treat. There is no um, uh, restriction of yourself or abstinence right? that a lot of the other um, addictions, that that's what you have to do. You know, you can't be an alcoholic um, in recovery and still be drinking alcohol. Right. <laughs> but you can be someone with an eating disorder in recovery and still be eating, yes. which is absolutely 100% um, appropriate. And that's such a nuanced thing to understand and mm-hmm. to learn. And, um, and so I, th- I think that just starting out working with eating disorders, it's going to yeah. help you so much more, no matter where you go, whether mm-hmm. you work with eating disorders or not. Yeah. And on a recent episode, I had Ann Jensen Smith and McKinsey. <gasps> I was Aunt Jensen's <laughs> supervisor for a period of time. Small world. Yeah, I was her. I was actually um, her um, like supervisor at Center for Discovery, but also her licensed supervisor okay. for uh, at least a year. Yeah. Yes. So you're probably already going to know some of the things that I might say, but something that they were talking about is an eating disorder is one of the addictions that is actually celebrated in our society. That was something that McKinsey oh, yeah. was saying. It's very glorified. Yes. Yes. So if somebody loses a lot of weight, oh my gosh, how did you lose all that weight? Mm-hmm. You look amazing. Mm-hmm. When having no idea what somebody's going through and caring about how they actually feel, like, do they yeah. feel healthy? Do they feel happy? Are they healthy in that size? And that's another part of why it's so difficult is because Mm -hmm. it's so glorified in our society. Well, and I think absolutely, and I think the other end of the eating disorder spectrum, it's so stigmatized. You know, if you have binge eating disorder or any, you know, whether you have bulimia or um, other specified feeding or eating disorder that doesn't fit in the category of, you know, anorexia or bulimia, binge eating, if you have something kind of in the middle or it's a, I always say it's like a smattering of all the different things. Um, it's really, really stigmatized and mm-hmm. people don't seek a lot of treatment for it. And there's a little bit of some normalization of that in our culture as well. Uh, you know, I tell somebody what I do and I'm a therapist and they're like, oh, I probably need that. And then I'm like, oh, well, I'm an eating disorder therapist. And they're like, oh, well, I definitely need you. You know, I ate two dinners last night. Da, da, da. But So it's it's a little bit of like normalization of mm-hmm. these things that are, are actually might be disordered. Right. Um, and so it's really hard for people to seek treatment. Mm-hmm. And then if they are seeking treatment, are services available and all of the difficulties that come with actually being able to get help yeah. or wait lists and all of that. All the barriers to treatment. Yeah, mm-hmm. so that can be very difficult. And what are some things that have maybe surprised you in working with clients with eating disorders? Mm. I think that I, I don't know if surprised is the right word, but how pervasive the eating disorder is. Like Mm. it's not just about your relationship with food, but it's, it's almost like this part of your, part of yourself, part of your personality and, your personality characteristics that continue to reinforce these different kinds of behavior. And I tell people that finding recovery from your eating disorder is about great, great change. It's not just about 
eating differently, but also about being different um, and really having to look inside yourself. You have to relate to people different. A lot of times your boundaries with food are very similar to your boundaries with people. If you have really rigid boundaries, like somebody who's anorexic, you more than likely have very rigid boundaries with people and with food. Mm-hmm. The same with somebody who has binge eating or, um, or bulimia, or they maybe are a little too loose. Maybe their boundaries are a little too enmeshed with other people, codependent. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, those things need to change also. You yeah. know, and being flexible or, or um, working on rigidity or working on setting boundaries with people or working on taking care of yourself and seeing yourself as a priority. You know, that, that doesn't just have to do with food. It yeah. has to do with how you, your relationship with yourself and how you treat yourself, mm-hmm. how you see the world. Yeah. Going back to the very root. Mm-hmm. of how they view themselves and how they view the world. Yeah, there's these very core beliefs about who you are that we have to really tackle in order for the eating disorder to, in order for you to be fully in recovery for the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. And something that I tell all patients, whether it's eating disorder recovery or general mental health, is that putting in the work is not easy. Mm-mm. And the fact that you're getting the help and that you're trying, like sometimes that's the hardest step is just making that first one. Oh, yeah. I tell people, I know I'm asking you to be in pain. I know I'm asking you to do something excruciating and very scary. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that I'm putting you in that place and I know what it means to put yourself in that place. And I don't, I don't take that lightly. Mm-hmm. You know, I really want them to understand that I'm asking them to do something that is greatly difficult and um but also again i'm hoping to have like create a safe space in my office for them to feel like they can do that Mm -hmm. you know i'm hoping to empower them to where they feel like okay this is going to be really scary and it's going to be really hard and painful but i can do it Mm -hmm. i can do it and speaking of empowerment with your introduction, you mentioned <laughs> women's issues yes. and feminism. Yes. So I would love to hear about that part of your practice and your passion for that. Oh, yeah. Um. <laughs> oh, yeah. Looks <laughs> off in the distance. <laughs> uh, I even have like a fem- I, it says feminist oh, on my arm here. Yes. Um, <laughs> so my husband and I um, got feminist tattoos. It was his idea. And, he, you know, I've feel like I've been a feminist my whole life, but, um, I was raised by strong women, um, and raised by a very strong man who was able to give me space to be a strong woman. Um, I feel like I had, was lucky in having parents like that. Yeah. Um, and loved strong women, like love, like stories about strong women, loved TV shows about strong women Mm -hmm. growing up. And I just never, it was just never an, an option for me to mm. be not strong. And it's never felt right for me, for women around me to not be strong too. Mm-hmm. And so women, I mean, that's part of <clears throat> being an eating disorder provider, I feel like, is being a feminist. It's like we're helping not just women, we're helping people yeah. to break chains of bondage. We're helping to liberate people from society's views of who they're supposed to be mm-hmm. to actually being who they're meant to be. We're actually being who they are. Mm-hmm. 
you know, they're already that person. They just have to find that person within themselves. And it's a really fun part of my job. (laughs) Absolutely. Seeing your tattoo, I'm like, you live it. Like that's your life in and out of the therapy space. Yeah. And helping people to let go of what society has told them with the boxes that they've been put in and telling them you are strong, you are able Mm -hmm. and helping them realize that. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. My husband and I joked after we, like, right after we got him, he's like, Well, I hope feminist doesn't become a bad word at some point in time. <laughs> I was like, It doesn't matter. <laughs> I, I will it. still be a feminist. Yes. That time. <laughs> I mean, it can be a controversial word when it shouldn't be, in my opinion. Well, I think there are different views of feminism and different types of feminism. And, um, you know, with all of the stuff that has gone down and our, um, in our world, especially the past two years with Black Lives Matter mm-hmm. and George George Floyd, really becoming, you know, educating myself on what it means to be a white woman mm-hmm. feminist. And there is some not great things about that, stereotypically. Yeah. And so I really try hard to, you know, it's like the whole girl boss movement, that kind of stuff, which there is a place for that, I feel like, mm-hmm. but not at the expense of other women. Mm. Um, and so it's always been very important to me to support other women. That's one of the reasons why I love being a supervisor. Mm. Um, and and I don't just supervise women, but that's, you know, most of my colleagues are women and mm. most of the people that I work with are women, um, client-wise. And... So most of my supervisees are women too. And I always tell them, you know, even if I'm not your supervisor anymore, you can call me anytime. And I even got a call from somebody last week that um, I used to work with and was also her said supervisor. And she just called me and she's like, hey, I need help with this. And I'm like, absolutely, you know. Um, And part of educating myself was, I think, especially in kind of white, supremacy culture there's this idea of what it means to be respectable and like respect respectability politics and what it means to be like a respectable woman quote unquote and and that those women are the only women that are um that have or deserve rights and which just is not true and 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 shouldn't be uh and so you know all women need to be supported no matter what their position in life is, no matter their, um, what they do to make a living for themselves. And all women are deserving of, of help and care and support no matter what their skin color looks like. And so just trying to embody those things and trying to be in alignment in those values is really important to me just as a person, but also as a therapist and also as a supervisor. Yeah. Preach. (laughs) I'm here for all of it. I agree with everything you just said, (laughs) but also that it's not easy and that to look historically to, and to make sure that groups of people are not left out and Mm -hmm. lifting up everybody, helping everybody. Yeah. I I think, just like it's hard to be somebody who is trying to resist diet culture, you know, it's hard to be in any body size and resist diet culture. I think it's hard, maybe even harder. And this is kind of the first time I've ever said this. I think sometimes it's harder to be 
um, a white person trying to resist white culture mm. and white supremacy and really having to do a lot of deconstruction and constantly having to check myself of like, this is, this is not how life is supposed to be or This is not how I want to treat other mm-hmm. people, whether that's something that I've been taught by society or not. Yeah. And that even if you could benefit it, benefit from it, denying that yeah. and saying that doesn't align with my values and that doesn't lift up others. Yeah. Yeah. Well, walk in the walk, talk in the talk. <laughs> I wish we had more time, but I loved getting to know you today, Whitney. And I thank know you. all of our listeners will as well. Uh, in closing, thank you so much for the work that you do. Thank you for making an effort to be so inclusive mm. with everyone. Yeah. And is there anything else you would like to share in wrapping up the episode? I don't think so. Just I'm honored to be here and it's weird to talk about myself (laughs) as a therapist. And, um, but it was really nice to be here today. Well, thank you. Yeah. Thank you for listening to the connections chat podcast. Be sure to follow our podcast on your platform of choice to receive updates on our latest episodes. As our community is growing, we would appreciate it if you would subscribe and leave a review. If this episode resonated with you, please share and start the conversation with your network or support system. And together, we continue to break through the stigma surrounding mental illness.